while a sensitivity to certain words is extremely important, it's always important, our culture is becoming sensitive in some unexpected ways. Consider the following phrase. Are you ready? I want to talk to you about everything going on right now. Let me repeat it. I want to talk to you about everything going on right now. Strangely, that phrase recently made its way onto an oppressive language list. Oppressive language list published by Brandeis University's Prevention, Advocacy, and Resource Center. Why is the phrase, everything going on right now, oppressive? This is how the university explained it. Being vague about important issues risks miscommunication and can also avoid accountability. Hmm. As one commentator put it, if I say everything going on right now in reference to police brutality or the pandemic, for example, I might be letting oppressors off the hook. That's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? That phrase, sensitized to a phrase like, I want to talk to you about everything going on right now. Brandeis also suggests that we stop using the phrase trigger warning. Why is that? Because according to the university, the word trigger has connections to guns for many people. So we can give the same heads up using language that's less connected to violence. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Another example is the change that Disneyland recently made. According to the Orange County Register, Disneyland has replaced their fireworks announcement that began, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, with the more gender-inclusive Good evening, friends. Good evening, friends. According to Disney officials, as the article goes on to explain, Disney has been striving to introduce more diversity and inclusivity into its theme parks, workforce, and company culture. So again, a sensitivity to words, words that may not be inclusive enough. And remember the words. Am I allowed to say them out loud? Ladies, gentlemen, boys, and girls. A sensitivity to words. I would love to have you turn to 2 Kings chapter 22 this morning to a passage that also speaks to this same issue, a sensitivity to words. As I said at the beginning, a sensitivity to words in so many cases, is extremely important, isn't it? The Lord Jesus teaches us that time and time again. Our Father teaches us that all throughout the Word that we should be sensitive to the words that come out of our mouth, the language that we're using towards others, and that those words should be fueled by a compassionate, understanding, patient heart. The same kind of love should flow in our words as the love that we have received, as the compassion that we have received, as the understanding that we have received. But as we've seen, when it comes to a sensitivity of words, our culture is is certainly going one direction, isn't it? It's going a certain direction 
that begins to look almost extreme in its manifestations. But I would suggest that there is even more important sensitivity that we're going to see this morning from first Kings, from second Kings chapter 22. I've run across some wonderful passages reading through our five and five readings in the Old Testament in first Kings and second Kings. If you've been joined, if you've been using that five on five Old Testament calendar for this year, then you've been in those same passages and you almost want to read some more. But of course, the, the calendar only is able to take selections out of the Old Testament to be able to bring you one one reading per day, one chapter a day, five days a week. But we try to I try to hit the highlights in that calendar as I put it together. So one of those passages is second second Kings chapter 22. Let me set up the scene a little bit for you, because we are just parachuting into the middle of a book here, uh, the end of a book here. Here is the scene to give you more of the context. This chapter takes place, as you see in verse 3, if you have your Bible open, in the 18th year of King Josiah. King Josiah. Uh, King Josiah was one of the kings who ruled over Judah, which was a name given to not only a tribe, but to the southern kingdom of Israel. Right, The southern kingdom of the, the people of Israel. The northern, the northern kingdom was once called Israel, the kingdom of Israel. They, by this time, had been taken away many years earlier, a hundred years earlier, or maybe about a hundred years, taken away by the Assyrians into exile. So all that remains of the Hebrew nation in terms of a nation is the southern kingdom of Judah. And as we read here, King Josiah is in his 18th year. Since he ascended to the throne at the very tender age of eight years old, we know that he's about 25 or 26 in this passage. So in verse three, we read that the king sent his royal secretary to ensure that the Jerusalem temple tax, the same one that was being collected in the days of Jesus, if you remember, the Jerusalem temple tax, he was wanting to make sure that it was counted and that it was transferred to the appointed workmen, those who were working on, those who were appointed to work on the temple in Jerusalem. This was the temple that King Solomon built so many years earlier. There were appointed workmen who were called to work on it, and Josiah wanted to make sure that money was not just sitting there, that it was accounted for well, and that it was used well for the sake of God's sanctuary. That's the context here. Let's pick up in verse 8 of chapter 22. And Hilkiah, who is Hilkiah? He's the high priest. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, that's the royal secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of Yahweh. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he, Shaphan, he read the book. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house. They've delivered into the hands of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of Yahweh. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it. He read that book before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. 
when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, even if you know nothing about Josiah, even if you know nothing about this book of the law, the king's reaction is striking, isn't it? It's absolutely striking. What was this book that drove this man to this place, this king? Well, from both the context here in the passage and the early usage, we're looking at the, the Old Testament earlier, going back uh, into the earlier books of the Old Testament. This phrase, the book of the law, most likely points us to the book that we today call Deuteronomy. It's the only place that we find that used in the first five books of the Bible that are considered the law, the Torah, the Torah proper. First five books of the Bible. We see it pop up again in Joshua many times because it's emphasizing the book that came before, Deuteronomy. And by the name, if you speak Greek, you know Deuteronomos means a second law, a second giving of the law. So this was a second giving of the law that Moses gave before he died, before the people of of Israel crossed over the Jordan into the land that was promised to their forefathers. This second law was written down and preserved. It's found here again. (laughs) It's found here as they're going through to collect the money that might have been hoarded away, the temple tax that was just set aside or whatever. All of a sudden, somehow this book is buried in the temple storerooms. It's rediscovered and brought before the king. So most likely it's the book we call Deuteronomy. So when we talk about the king's reaction in verse 11, we have to be absolutely clear that what he is reacting to here is God's word. God's holy word. God's sacred word. That's what he's reacting to. Brothers and sisters, I believe the first thing God wants us to understand about this passage is that King Josiah's reaction was not one of indifference or even academic interest or even spiritual curiosity. What is crystal clear in verse 11 is the degree to which Josiah was sensitive to God's word. It's obvious when you read the final words of verse 11, isn't it? To what degree are you sensitive to God's Word? What does it even mean to be sensitive to God's Word? I'd encourage you to consider those questions as we take a closer look at this text. Ready to do that? Here we go. Notice what the first, notice first what verse 11 tells us about the degree to which Josiah was sensitive to God's word. To what degree was he sensitive? We're told that he was so sensitive that he tore his clothes. That's how sensitive he was. He was so sensitive that he rent his garments is another way the Bible expresses that. Rending of the garments, tearing of the clothes. He was so sensitive that he tore his clothes when he heard the inspired words of this book. 
it begs a question, doesn't it? Another question. Why was he tearing his clothes? Strange reaction. Well, he was not angry. He was not frustrated. No, he was undone by what he heard. He was undone. He was convicted. He was brokenhearted in light of this word. King Josiah's reaction here is one marked by a powerful experience of both guilt and grief. Why that reaction, guilt and grief? Well, let's fast forward just a bit and sneak a peek at verse 13. Take a look at verse 13 of this same chapter, verse 13. Josiah explains his reaction in verse 13. For great is the wrath of Yahweh that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. God's people, right? The people of God. The children of Israel. To tear one's clothes was a cultural expression of deep sorrow, of humility, of repentance. Now, just in case, just in case any of us think that Josiah has reacted this way because he was just a really bad guy who had been caught dead to rights by God, right? So full of guilt that it's like right at the brim and this announcement of the word just taps that, right? And it comes all spilling out all of his guilt. Just in case you think that might be the explanation here, look back at verse 2 of this chapter. It tells us this, and Josiah did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. And he walked in all the way of his father David. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That's right out of Deuteronomy, that phrase. Not to turn aside to the right or to the left. Even the king, the, the king that they would one day have, that's exactly how he was instructed. He would be the kind of man who would read the law regularly. He would even write out a copy of the law for himself. And he would not turn to the right or to the left. That's how Josiah is described right from the outset here. He's not a bad man, not a really bad guy who's just convicted about his own <laughs> heap of sin. He's actually a righteous king. He's actually a man of faith who loves God. His concern for the condition of God's temple should also give us a, is also a, a, a clue, isn't it, into his character. His concern for the condition of God's temple was just one expression of his faith and righteousness. In a parallel account to this one, we read that Josiah was very different from those who came before him. First Chronicles 34.11 speaks to, of his repairs to the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. That's the condition they were in. That's how bad things had gotten. So you understand now why Josiah, because he loves God. He sees this ramshackled temple and thinks, this is not, this is not befitting of the Lord of glory. And he makes sure that money and those workmen are going 
getting to business, getting to, getting to work with re- restoration of the temple. But again, why this extreme reaction? So why this re- extreme reaction if we've got a righteous king here? Here are three reasons. Number one, as the next chapter makes clear, and we'll look at that next Sunday, Josiah recognized that he personally tolerated things that should not have been tolerated. It wasn't that he was actively promoting. It wasn't that he was actually engaging in any of these things, these idolatrous things. But he had become used to them. He had tolerated them. And he failed to restore things that had been lost to the people. For example, observance of the Passover faithfully every year hadn't been taking place at all. Zip, zilch, zero. So we know personally he, he recognizes that right away as he hears the words of this book of the law. Number two, as king, Josiah knew that in many ways he was accountable for the spiritual condition of the people he was commanded by God to shepherd. Right in front of the throne, maybe it said the buck stops here. He took responsibility as the leader of the people for their condition. Number three, why was he tearing his clothes? Just as 2 Peter 2.8 describes how a righteous man is tormented or grieved by lawless deeds, the lawless deeds all around him, God-fearing Josiah was similarly burdened in light of the people's sin. He was weighed down when he looked and he saw his kinsmen, he saw his people, God's people, in the condition they were in spiritually. Talk about a heavy heart. Talk about a burdened heart. Deuteronomy not only makes it clear that Israel was to destroy all the places, take a look, they were to destroy all the places where the nations served their gods. That's chapter 12 of Deuteronomy verse 2. But that they should also take care you should not be ensnared to follow those false gods. Verse 30 of chapter 12. What if they rejected these warnings, these restrictions, these prohibitions by God in the book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law, Deuteronomy 28, 15. But if you will not obey the voice of Yahweh, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And that's right at the beginning of a list. Many, many, many verses Describing curse after curse after curse after curse. And the final curse? To be vomited out of the land of promise. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So what do we see here? We see that in this case, a sensitivity to God's word by King Josiah, a sensitivity to God's word means a sensitivity to sin. A sensitivity to sin. But please notice where the passage takes us next. Look at verse 12. After tearing his clothes, gripped by guilt and grief, what does King Josiah do next? Look at verse 12. 
And the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest. He's just torn his clothes. I don't know if he's still walking around with the old over-the-shoulder look, you know, anymore. I don't know if he's, what's happening exactly how soon this is. It seems like it's right after that, right? Maybe he's still clutching, clutching the cloth like this, and he's torn it. He says to Hilkiah, the priest, and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, we know Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan himself, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's servant, he says, go inquire of Yahweh for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, Asiah, went to Huldah, the prophetess. She was the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now, she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. That was another part, kind of a newer part of the city that had been built. And they talked with her. And she said to them, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel. Can you imagine this woman full of faith, power? She says, thus says Yahweh, that prophetic speech. Listen to it. They're eager to hear it. Thus says Yahweh, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of Yahweh, thus shall you say to him, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent. Literally in Hebrew, your heart was soft. Your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself before Yahweh. When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and you've wept before me. Josiah, I have heard you, declares Yahweh. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word, that word, to the king. So, did you notice, first of all, did you notice verse 19 tells us a little bit more about Josiah's reaction not only did he tear his clothes, it says that he wept. He wept before God. That fits perfectly. Well, we were talking about guilt and grief, right? Guilt and grief. He's weeping before God. His profound sense of guilt and grief over his own sin and the sin of the people drove him to tears. There's one picture, another picture of what it means to be sensitive to God's word. But please notice that the king's emotional encounter with God, with God's word, did not drive him away from either God or the word. Guilt and grief so overwhelming, you're tearing your clothes, maybe falling down, weeping. It doesn't drive him away, though. It doesn't drive him away from either God or the word. 
uh, sensitivity to sunlight might drive someone back into the shade, right? It might drive someone back into a darkened room. Uh, in the same way, a sensitivity to conflict with others might tempt someone to just leave a hard conversation, a hard situation, just to get out of there. But a healthy sensitivity to God's Word actually deepens a man or woman's desire for the Word. It deepens that desire for the Word. They want to know more. They need to know more. The man or woman who has a heart that's sensitive to God's Word. Isn't that what we see here with Josiah? He doesn't want to shut out the voice of God because it's too painful. He doesn't want to shut out the voice of God because it's too onerous. He wants to hear more of God's Word. And that's exactly what happens through the prophetess Huldah. Notice that God answers Josiah's guilt and grief. How? With words of confirmation and comfort. Now he's focused on confirmation and comfort here in terms of the word. Not only does God confirm the nature of the, of the, the nation's transgressions. This is what they've done. So when Josiah heard it and he connected the dots, he said, oh no, we are in a very, very bad place. God confirms that. You were exactly right. What you sensed was right, was wrong is correct. <laughs> this is why I'm bringing my wrath. What you feared is coming. What you feared is coming. So not only was he confirming the nature of the, of the, of the nation's transgressions, he was also confirming the consequences of that sin. But he also, as you see here, he also encourages the king with a word of reassurance, doesn't he? How do we make sense of this? Well, we need to know that it was the grandfather. It was Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. It was Manasseh that had tipped the scales and it secured the judgment of God against the people. You can read about it a few chapters earlier in the book of 2 Kings. It says that Manasseh was so bad that not only was he bad like the kings of Israel, and usually the kings of Israel are the ones who are said that they sinned, right? They sinned, they sinned even more than their father had sinned. Or they walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the very first king over the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom. It doesn't just say that for Manasseh. It says that he was worse than, he was more evil than the Amorites who lived in the land before Israel. Wow. It doesn't say that about anybody else. Why does it say he was so bad? Because he walked into the temple itself of Yahweh and he erected false gods and he put altars in there. And it says that he even sacrificed his own child, maybe even within the temple. It's not, the text is not clear. And after that, it goes on to say, not only did he do these things, but he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood from one end to the other. In Manasseh's day, God said, the judgment is coming. It cannot be stopped. It will come. It will consume you. So the word of reassurance here to Josiah is that God is going to, because of Josiah's 
humble heart, his, his tenderness before the Word of God, his concern about the nation's condition, his concern for his own heart, most importantly, his concern for obedience to God and the glory of God. Because of that, God's actually going to delay the judgment. It's actually going to be delayed. He and his generation would be spared. In fact, he would become the grandfather in the story because it would be his grandson who would see the judgment come with the Babylonians marching upon Jerusalem and coming over a period of 15 years many times to take people away and finally in the end in 586 to destroy the city and destroy the temple, this same temple. Wipe it off. Just as God had told Manasseh, I will wipe you clean like someone takes a dish, turns it over and wipes it off. That's what I'm going to do with you. He told Manasseh when he spoke those words of judgment. So how wonderful that the sensitivity that we see here to God's word actually preserves and protects the people. It delays God's judgment, coming judgment. It brings a good word from God to Josiah, a word of reassurance, of comfort, that he himself will go to his death in peace. So what does it mean to be sensitive to God's word? It not only means a deeply affected heart in light of what God has revealed, it should also lead to a deepening desire to hear more of God's Word. All of God's Word. Both the conviction and the comfort to receive both of those. Sensitive to both of those. And to obey that Word. Brother, sister, friend, Is your heart tender when you hear the Word of God? Is your heart tender when you hear the Word of God? If you were in Josiah's position, how would you react, given your heart today, if you were in his position, how would you react to the reading of the book of the law? I can honestly say I would not be tearing my clothes. I can honestly say that I don't think I would have that deep of an emotional response. The sensitivity that Josiah embodies exemplifies for us here. To ask it again, when you read the Word, brother, sister, when you read the Word, when you hear it taught, when you hear it preached, does Scripture impact you deeply? even emotionally, as we see here. Whether that means guilt or grief or comfort or joy, deeply impacted by those things. In light of our often tepid or academic or routine or wearied responses to God's sacred and precious word, maybe we should be tearing our clothes this morning. Maybe that's what we actually should do given the condition of our hearts. To what degree are you sensitive to God's word? 
however you answer that question, though there could be many responses, many, though there could be many ways forward in terms of application, let me offer two ideas, two points of practical application in regard to sensitivity to God's Word. First of all, when it comes to God's Word, don't settle for dry data. Don't settle for dry data. Don't even give it space. Don't allow it. I know there have been way too many times when I have been content with learning something interesting from Scripture. Content with finding something that maybe I can use in this or that situation with this or that person on this or that occasion. Sadly, I have settled for dry data instead of straining to hear the heart-gripping truth that God has graciously revealed in His Word. Please know that your relationship with the Word, like your relationship with the God of the Word, can be, it should be, vibrant and warm and engrossing. It isn't always, but it should be. We should strive for that, shouldn't we? We shouldn't settle and say, oh, I guess this is just how it is. I I guess this is just how it's going to be. No, we want this vibrant, warm, engaged, engrossing relationship with the Word because it's, it's, it's our relationship with God, the God of the Word. Please don't settle for some other version of faith. But that leads us to a second point of application. Number two, whenever you read or hear the Word, ask yourself, how is God speaking to my heart in this passage? How is God speaking to my heart? Biblical facts, deep doctrines, gems of wisdom. All of those can be found in the Word. None of those are bad at all. They're wonderful. But we too often come to God's Word with only an academic or pragmatic posture. I need to solve this equation in my life. What does God's Word have for me? Oh, plug in the factors, plug and chug. Oh, here's the answer. I need that. Two steps, three steps. It's very formulaic, isn't it? It's very pragmatic, utilitarian, we might say. Too often we come with that kind of posture or a a textbook kind of academic approach to the Word. We say, what do I need to know to master this subject? What might help me with this or that problem in my life? What if instead we ask, how might God want to undo me through this passage? How might God want to lay me low through this passage? How is God exposing my secrets in this chapter? How is He exposing my excuses and my fears in this chapter? How might God want to thrill me or drive me to my knees or restore my hope or break me with this verse? How often do you ask yourself that when you read the Word? These questions don't replace the basics of interpretation. Let's be clear about that, right? What does the passage mean according to the author's intention? Beginning with author with a little a, the human writer, 
ending with author, capital A, the inspired God who gave the word. That's what we understand. We go to a passage in light of its context. We say, what was the author meaning to communicate here? What were his intentions? We do those basics of Bible study. But on top of that, we have to ask questions like these. How is God speaking to my heart in this passage? These questions are equally critical. In all of this, it's so important to remember the very thing Josiah felt deeply here when he tore his clothes. He knew that apart from God's grace, all of us are sinners who are condemned. We're all sinners who are condemned. So when we hear the word, we have to be able to grasp that. If you cannot grasp through your study of the Scriptures that you are a condemned sinner apart from the grace of God, then you will not truly understand the message of Scripture. Good news begins with that bad news about our condition. So we know we need to be reminded of that very thing Josiah felt so deeply. All of us are sinners. And that means all of us, because we are sinners... All of us, apart from the grace of God, are desensitized. We are callous. We are hardened. We are unresponsive when it comes to the work of God and the Word of God. But King Josiah's relationship to the Word, the relationship that we've been thinking about a little bit this morning, his relationship to the Word should remind us of another king's relationship with the Word, the one of whom it was said, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That can't be said about any other king. (laughs) We know there's only one king for whom those words apply. That he can open minds to understand the Scriptures according to Luke chapter 24, verse 45. It's King Jesus, isn't it? King Jesus can give us understanding of God's Word. Not just understanding because he's like some amazing professor sitting up with his textbook in front of class. 30 years, he's gotten his tenure, right? (laughs) Because he's so good at that. He can understand our minds because the Holy Spirit, the power divinely illuminates our heart, mind, our soul to understand the impact of God's Word. To make the connections, to be able to understand how it speaks to us in our hearts as we just talked about. King Jesus can give us this understanding. In fact, we also read in Acts 16, 14 that when the good news about King Jesus was being announced to a Greek woman named Lydia, it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. He can open your mind. He can open your heart. This God of grace. This Redeemer. Jesus Brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus Christ can open your mind and your heart to the power of God's truth. You want that? Don't you want that in your life? Isn't this what happened earlier in the book of Acts? Here's another example. This is what happened earlier when Peter declares in Acts 2, 36 and 37, Let all the house of Israel know therefore for certain that God has made Him, Him 
both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. I suspect, even though we're not told, that maybe some clothes were torn there in that square in Jerusalem. They were cut to the heart. And what did they say? They didn't run away. They didn't curl up into a ball. They didn't say, this is too much, too onerous, too burdensome. I don't like the way this makes me feel. They didn't say any of that, did they? They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Tell us more of the Word of God. Give us more light. King Josiah might exemplify for us a healthy sensitivity to God's Word, but only King Jesus can give us that kind of heart. It's His gift to us to give us that kind of heart. His death for sinners has secured that new heart and His resurrection empowers it. If you haven't been cut to the heart by the good news about Jesus, and let's be clear, no one is saved unless they are cut to the heart by the good news about Jesus. No one is truly born again. No one demonstrates being that they are born again unless they have been cut to the heart by the good news about Jesus. First word of the gospel is repentance. We have to be broken before we can made, be made new. We have to be cut to the heart. So those who have been cut to the heart, if you have not been cut to the heart by the good news about Jesus, ask God this morning to open your mind and heart. Talk with Him about that. If you have been cut to the heart and you belong to Him, then thank God once again this morning. And ask Him to help you bring that same cut-to-the-heart kind of heart with you every time you open the Word of God. Don't settle for dry data. Ask the Spirit of God to work in you. Think about what it looks like. What, what is God saying to my heart? How does God want to work on me today to undo me, to give me hope? Whatever it might be, ask Him that. To be clear, and please hear me, your emotional response to the gospel does not save you. My emotional response to the gospel does not save me. It is not performance on my part. It is not something I generate in order to feel good about myself. Christ saves us. His finished work saves us. But our sensitivity to God's Word can indicate something important about the healthiness of our response. Right? So we don't want to go to either extreme with it. We don't want to make it like everything to say, well, I must not be okay spiritually, right? I must be, I may, in fact, I may be, I'm not even saved because when I open the word, I'm not falling and flailing all over the room. I'm not weeping every time. I could barely open the scriptures, <laughs> you know, just falling down. We don't want to go to that extreme and say, oh, I'm not, that's not happening all the time. So, 
therefore I must not have the Spirit of God in me. But we also don't want to go to the other extreme. Well, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So yeah, dry data, that's how it's been for 10 years. Big deal. Jesus, it's His finished work. Well, wait a minute. God has given us indicators, hasn't He? He's given us some some alert signals in, in, in our spiritual walk, things that we should look for to, to, to get a sense of our healthiness, where we are spiritually. And our sensitivity to the Word of God is one of those things that we need to carefully consider. Amen? Amen. Christ is the one who saves us. So looking to Christ, let's pray together for that healthy sensitivity that we see exemplified for us so beautifully in 2 Kings 22. Would you pray with me?